0: I think we should talk about can they see my dot com and related topics. Holy shit, that's a strong intro. I feel like you know our rating, our R rating. Yeah, go for you it. just you just oh, yeah. like, you're like Sorry, just stating the obvious right there. This
1: is why there's a little R on, on ATunes. Um
0: I think specifically I, the part that would make that would be interesting to talk about maybe is that the interview was like targeted towards Trying to make people understand it that aren't that just zone out when you start talking about technology. What do, you, and what, issues like that. what do you think about that? Like, What do you think about the fact that I feel I
1: hear a lot of cynicism from people think, saying, "Oh well, when we talk about dicks, then like everybody cares about it." Oh great, must be everybody must be an idiot. Gotta talk about dick, like you know that's the voice I hear when I see people react like, "Oh." Oh, we want people to think about these important issues, but when they do think about about them, then the reason why they're thinking about them means they're all idiots. So there's no winning.
0: I think the Dix is not the part of the like dicks was the vessel that his point was used, <laughs> like in, in which his. I'm opening a, a doc right now just to I don't say know how to the title of the probably.
1: episode will be "Dick, dick's, Dick, Dick is the vessel." That is <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, like his
0: it. point was that people don't care about these super technical topics, until you try to make it relevant to them and understandable to them and somehow. Yeah. And to do that, he was using dick pics. But yeah. really his point, his stance, is that people zone out unless you make it relevant to them and contextualize it to them and their life.
1: Yeah, he, uh, the term I'm looking for is not slapstick. Not, uh, maybe it's vaudeville, but he, he overemphasized the ridiculous reaction that, that technologically savvy people make fun of. He impersonated this, he's not that bored. This guy is, you know, John Oliver, I mean. He 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 doesn't really glaze over that easily, obviously. Otherwise, but he was, of course, in his character, trying to play
0: kind of like a Colbert version of himself being just yeah. bored by everything. And um, It's funny, I was getting really mad watching the interview because I was like, why does he keep cutting him off? And then I was like, oh, I get it now. Yes! That's exactly what someone who isn't into this would do. But this is, oh,
1: God, there's so much to talk about this interview. Let, let's okay. Uh, I feel like I need notes just to because contextualize
0: some... it for the people,
1: right? But <laughs> to be meta about it, but see, that's slightly condescending in a way because it's like, oh, for the people, it's a con- contextualize the the truth, and he overstated it. Is that this stuff is really hard to understand, and we forget by privilege of of being someone who uses stuff like that every day, oh, yeah, eventually you kind of have to, as a professional bias, to, to like know that this is how the internet works and it's very easy to abuse. But it's kind of like whenever you see a law that discusses something that's rem- super boring, like lawyer stuff, any kind of legal, you know, uh, loophole-ish, oh, funny, uh, loophole-ish stuff that's just not interesting to, like, tax code. You know, like, that's right, not yeah, exciting yeah. to me. And it's exactly the same problem. I glaze over. I don't want to think about the tax code. Yes, it's too big. Yes, it's, there's too many amendments. Like, most of the laws are about adding shit to the tax code. Great. But I'm not going to make fun of someone that simplifies it for me by saying, you're just catering to the lowest common
0: denominator. Because, no, it's not. It's You're communicating. Communication is trying to make something understandable to someone that has a different perspective than you. Right. And then the, if the, they don't have the same base knowledge as you, you're going to need to change the way that you say something to make it understandable and that's that's not an issue. That's no. the way that communication works. It's a great
1: exercise too. It will teach you more. It's the same about like whenever you teach something you learn more about what you're teaching, but you'll be you'll better understand it yourself. And when it's Carl Sagan doing it, it's super virtuous. Sure he's not using, you know, genitals to To explain how the universe works, but he's using a weird calendar that's kind of silly, right? Like this weird. Oh, I'm I'm standing on this calendar. Uh, a, I think the standing one was Neil, but um, and that he, was
0: a that was a redux of right the redux of, of the, the calendar. But that.
1: he still had that weird calendar thing. And I bet you a bunch of astrophysicists originally were like, "That's just reducting, like reductive. That's kind no, that's not actually yeah a bunch of neckbeards like like us." Yeah. Saying, well, okay, you're kind of like limiting, like sh- you can't uh, a picture. No, uh, not really. But really, that drove, I guess, ninety percent of the point home. People understood it by a it's such a. I don't really know how much people care about it. All I have is this website that I made and the reaction to the video. So uh, to for people who haven't seen that website, because I I, see, I keep meeting them, so it's exciting to see. Hey, I'm the creator of this. <laughs> thing. Okay, so I, I watched the John Oliver video, which we'll link to. Uh, it's the Last Week Tonight episode on gov- government surveillance. And um, I saw it very early in the morning in Europe, which meant that no one in the U.S. was awake, uh, which is kind of an important key fact here. No one in the U.S. was awake when they put it on, um, which is smart. I think the team of the Last Week Tonight is very smart to do that. They, they released a video on YouTube, don't say anything about it, and then they just wait for people to find it. And then because it was so, it was a 45 or 46 minute um, double episode of Last Week Tonight, because usually they're shorter, I think, or I mean that segment. Um, and it was just really excruciatingly, it was annoying for the, f- like, I don't know what you thought of the first 15 minutes, but it was just, just pan- a lot of pandering, a lot of him going like, yeah, this stuff is boring, I'm so sorry, bad joke, bad joke, bad joke. I mean, the j- jokes were kind of like, har har. I'm making jokes about how boring this stuff is. And then eventually there's a moment where he kind of becomes earnest and says, but we really wanted to understand this thing. So we thought, let's talk to whoever's the best person to talk to about this. Medward Snowden. And we went to Russia last week. That's why we didn't have an episode last week. And suddenly you go, ooh. Exactly that throat sound that Anthony just made. <laughs> and I hope makes it into the, for the final <laughs> episode. I was, like, I, was, I was like, oh, no, he's going to fuck it up. Like, b- because to me, okay, so as someone, like, I don't know if you remember, it's like June 2013. As soon as Snowden started making appearances, I was like, oh, this is different. Like there's a different, like, it's very interesting that he chose not to be anonymous. And the reasoning behind it um, is very well exemplified in the, the movie Citizen Four by Laura Portress that if it's in theaters, even if you think he's a fucking traitor, go see that movie to try to understand what someone who does something drastic like this, what his motivations could be. Because even if you hate the guy, seeing how he he is in the vulnerable state of being in a hotel room in Hong Kong where the world's about to find out that he did something really, really dangerous. Um, anyway, uh, that, that was a huge segue. But that was... a as soon as he started doing media interviews so before he went to, into hiding and then after he left so Snowden before, after he was uh, ext- extricated that's not a word um, extradited no he wasn't extradited but he was just like a, <laughs> he son- just wanted an extra word right <laughs> <laughs> extroverted he was totally extra no he was uh, someone from uh, who had a relationship with the uh, with WikiLeaks um, took him basically snuck him out of uh, the uh, Moscow airport and into uh, I don't know where actually I think she, she managed to get him out after after basically his asylum had been granted by Russia um, and after that point he started doing remote interviews with a bunch of news outlets just who were either curious of his opinion about Things or how he felt, like a bunch of stuff like that. But all of the interviews that I saw before Oliver's, even from news media from the U.S., who were kind of like ramming it in to 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 say this is kind of illegal what you did. Well, how about you just come home and face your act, you know, accusations and 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 legal troubles and anything like that? Even the people who were kind of like putting him on the pedestal, like not on the pedestal, but like saying, "Hey, you're on the hot seat. How about you take responsibility for?" for what you did. No one actually drilled him on the very important question of how what if the debate you think you triggered actually didn't happen? What if you all did all you did was in vain because actually people don't care about you, don't remember you just 2 years later and and really the laws that you say that you wanted people to discuss, the Patriot Act and other laws like that we really haven't changed them that much. And that was really, really different. And this is why it was so uncomfortable because the way he went about it was through satire and, and ridicule. But uh, yeah, pushing him. And it's throughout the interview, as you said, he just keeps interrupting him. And you see the mounting upset on, on Snowden's part being like, yeah. he's like almost defeated, Like, yeah,
0: okay, yeah. I-. Every video clip he shows him, he gets a little more upset like frustrated and upset about it but i think that is like oliver's point with the <clears throat> with the episode itself was to show us that it needed contextualizing right but i think it might have also showed snowden himself who you know released all the all the information to the journalists that he chose and stuff like that and had them publish it as they saw fit but i hope those journalists realize that this stuff needs contextualizing more than they already have done because i do think that so far, it's been pretty good to explain the way that these things worked. But, you know, maybe maybe it's worth doing two different news stories and publications about the same thing that was in the Snowden documentation. Is that, like, here's here's something that's getting put out to a press publication that is more towards the technical audience, and here's one that could go in USA Today and be read by everybody or whatever, the, you know, wherever they decide to publish this stuff. But what you're... Okay,
1: I agree in a, in a way, but the other side of me is like, do we do that when it comes to a, a gate? You know, any scandal, do we, do we ever publish the technical version and say like, you, you, whoever gets this, just figure it out from that part and we'll do a redux. That's more for normal idiots.
0: How about science and scientific journals? Right. But there's the- things that get published in actual publications and then they are taken and news stories are written around those. But if you care about the source documentation, you're still going to go to the actual journal and read it yourself because you have that understanding. But, you know, I'm not going to go into the American Medical Journals and start reading stuff because I don't have the basis of knowledge to understand that. That's a good point. So that's a, that might be a good example. No, that, okay,
1: in in that sense, that makes total that makes total sense to me. But I pictured it kind of like the the thing that upsets me is that so the I guess on surveillance, the most arcane knowledge that we have is perhaps. A bunch of ah, cryptographer blogs like Bruce Schneier's blog, uh, the EFF, which is just like freedom and freedom of speech and all that stuff, and uh, and the Intercept, which would be uh, Glenn Greenwald's new uh, publication, that is, that is just perpetually every week kind of like digesting the stuff and like publishing stories about okay, this is what we've gathered and investigated from these these documents that were leaked through Snowden or other people since then, um, and the problem is. I don't think these are parallels to scientific journals. This is why I was reacting originally because I don't. I think their job is already to make it as understandable as as as, uh, as Oliver did, in a way. Or, you know, like I don't want to wait for, I, hoping for USA Today to read the Intercept and be like, okay, I'll make a story that's more intelligible. I think you. <laughs> It's mean to whoever USA Today does these things, but I, I think they're bad at that stuff. They're they're basically that's gonna sound super mean, but they
0: they they No, I, I think what you're getting at is that it's not just making content understandable. It's making content understandable from a source that people already are aware of and have some sort of, you know, reputation within within their own thoughts. Like they might trust a particular source and they will trust the content that comes out of that more. And, and they might read intelligible content from that source differently than just straight-up intelligible content from any source.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's... So I guess the responsibility of vulgarizing... So the word vulgarizing kind of scares me. But really, that's what Sagan did. So vulgarizing science to make it... I wish it wasn't the word. In French, it's very common to say vulgarizing. But I don't know if in English that's just like just making it accessible or, or uh, evangel... Uh, no. Uh, anyway, ex- basically making something very hard to understand accessible but not dumbed down. Uh, here, he definitely did dumb it down, for sure. But there are some things that are so tricky and so arcane that maybe for a first layer of discussion, especially when it's when nobody ever... It's not even on anybody's radar at this point. And I guess to get people up in arms... Um, and so there's multiple things. Like So I talked to um, a journalist um, from the International Business Times, and she's British, and uh, she called me from London, and she was asking me, like, so what, when was this website made that you made, and why did you make it? And we talked about, and the, the key thing I had to say was kind of like similar to what you were saying, where I kind of blame you and people like Greenwald for not finding someone like Oliver to do this job of making it digestible. Because you're all good reporters and you do your job of raising issues that need to be raised, but just like a good good piece of software is useless if no one can access it and the user interface is terrible. To me, it's kind of like this thing where I discovered last week that there was a, a Unix command, actually, I think it's a program, called Units. So if, right now, if you go to your command line, you type units. I just want to... So but you go you any, any, any command line, like OS 10 or Linux or whatever, you type units, and it says 586 units, 56 prefixes, and you're like, you have, you say meters, you want inches, you type in as a word inches, and it shows you the formula. So you can say three meters, and you want inches. And it will tell you exactly what it is in inches. And it's like the most... It's blowing my mind that I never knew about this. No. <laughs> you know, what's crazy is that this is super accessible. Sure, it's a text interface, but it's super accessible. So it tells you basically 118 inches is three meters. 118.11024, to be correct. Um, I think that's right, but I'm not checking it. But this thing is super simple and yet I had no idea it existed.
0: So it's like I'm just going to say that it even does light years and parsecs. Oh yeah, it does. Did you <laughs> did you call help on it and like No, I just tried. I want I have 3 parsecs and I want light years. Yep. And it's 9.78 light years. Yep. What it, this is amazing.
1: It does crazy things. I think there's uh, yeah, there's there's the list over there. It does it does I think heat, force, water, mercury, like all sorts of, you know, units of pi. Anyway, back from the digression. This thing is oops, this, this thing is accessible. It's easy to use, but no one knows about it. So it's kind of like I think this made me think about the Oliver thing because it's not accessible, not understandable. Um, no one's done the work except for very very good journalists who have actually found the very nitty gritty. But no one's made it. Di- no one's diluted the ascent, like the essence of that thing into something as crazy easy. Um so that was the reason why I I basically stole the part of the the interview where um Oliver has Snowden basically saying no 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 stop talking uh here's a picture of my dick and in the context of the picture of my dick tell me how each of these laws that you've raised awareness about but which are themselves really hard to understand uh what, their, uh, what effect they would have on me sharing the picture of my dick online uh, or through text, text message and stuff like that. So it's just like really, really tiny section. So section 702, uh, one end foreign, which is a weird word that if you, do, if you, if you Google 1FE, uh, 1EF actually, uh, that's actually a, a super well-known legal issue when it comes to communications between two people. Uh, if one of the people is foreign, or one of the communication platforms is foreign, then it's up for grabs. It's fr- it's free. What's the what's the term? Um, uh, it's basically fair game. There you go. It's fair game for any surveillance, government surveillance, um, for any government who is not that one end, basically. Which is it's crazy. That means. Anytime you have any conversation where the platform like Gmail has servers throughout the world, you're guaranteed to be fair game for surveillance.
0: Our entire conversation right now is. Right. Because you are in France. Exactly.
1: And Skype has servers all around Europe. One of them, very easy, so that can be surveilled. So again, your conversation on Facebook, yes, there's some of the servers from Facebook are in California. But even if Facebook was trustworthy, which is a big claim, um, even if they were they can't guarantee that one of their servers can't just be surveilled unless they encrypt their traffic like crazy, which prior to these revelations, they didn't because they were like, ah, what's the point? Uh, there's the prism stuff. Anyway, there's like a bunch of different sections. And the one that Oliver was kind of like super excited about in a way was section 215, which was a perfect example of what Anthony and I talked about in the last episode of the multilog, which was open-ended legislation. So loophole-friendly verbiage that makes it super easy for anybody 10 years down the line uh, to interpret in any way they choose to make very, very bad decisions, uh, you know, depending on the context. So um, in the context of uh, net neutrality, it's the lawful content clause of the net neutrality proposal from the FCC. In this context, it was section 215, which... (laughs) shit you not has the word as the two words tangible things in its clause so basically any tangible things can be just uh exploited and that literally is the ta- that's it like if you're if you're thinking this is can you clarify that's it that's the clarification any tangible thing is fair game for um yeah I can't really explain it any better than that, except for using dick, dick metaphors. <laughs> things.
0: Right. Any things can be captured, yeah. And the reason this got
1: passed was it was 2001, it was right after 9-11, and Congress was in a rush to pass a law to react and act tough and act like they were doing something about it. The people who made the law, I you can think they're evil and that they made a law that Voluntarily gave basically free reign to whoever decided to interpret this thing, but really no. The, there's a guy from that from that committee who drafted this this law who said this bill who said no. We never intended that to be used for this. So it's not like founding fathers. Like did they really intend this to mean a militia? Uh, no. It literally the guy who wrote it tells you no. That's not the intent. But it's still being used like that. And ten years later, you discovered that. This was used secretly by a secret court to enact secret behavior that few people, if they were aware, few citizens, if they were aware, would be cool with. <sighs> so that was really cool. I think I think it takes people like John Oliver to be a little rougher and meaner, I guess, on on people, even even if they agree with them. So this is why the like the follow-up questions, you know, when You have interviews that go smoothly, and and no one's getting rocked in the chair. Like no one's getting. Um, so right now, in uh, I want to. You're not talking. I feel bad.
0: No, I'm just. This has been like stuff that's bottled up in your head for. It's like it's like kind of just just drawing it out of you.
1: Yeah, it's like you and the FCC thing. It's like you had when you started talking about all these specific sections of the FCC thing. So I had been reading this, but even me, I didn't understand. The, the the meaning of 215 or uh one end foreign i i had no idea about one end foreign communications before john oliver did his thing and i felt sh- i felt shame i guess that even someone as technical as me had not done his om- homework to to just at least be aware of the extent of the thing um there's a video that i'll put in for anybody who Not not even technical people, really. Uh, It's um, the general, not the general counsel, I think the senior legal counsel for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, whose name escapes me, but um, they did, on the EFF website, they have this thing about NSA spying, and then on that page, i gonna put that in the show notes, uh, on that page, there's a a really nice video from, um, from a conference called the Chaos Computer Club. There's another C, but I can't remember it. That's um, it's a homebrew comp- computer club I think that was founded in 1984, which is kind of cool, uh, in Berlin, Germany I think, and uh, which has a congress. There you go. That was the last C, which has a congress every year, and they talk about kind of like DefCon in the U.S. So like hacking, but in the sense of like necessarily black hat, so me- mean hack, <laughs> mean hacking, evil hacking, but also white hat hacking, and how freedom and technologies kind of like mesh together. There's a lot more stuff than that. And this video is about an hour long, so it's it definitely is begging to be diluted into something uh, of um, of the, the, the lawyer from the EFF basically explaining, hey, so if you want to know what these revelations mean in terms of spying, let me break it down for you. And he just goes through every single program that the NSA uses and why they use them, and how the legal framework allowed for them to do that. So basically, it's a guide for Anybody in Washington to, to be, oh, this is the leak. I mean, not the leak of information, but this is the legal leak, the legal loophole, and here's how you close it. You just remove that section, or you tighten it up, and you say, um, now we can't do this anymore. Um,
0: so one of the things that, kind of broadening it to the NSA in general, mm-hmm. one of the things that often comes up is what if the NSA and all of their resources were put towards strengthening the infrastructure <laughs> and technology in our country. Yep. And you know, this is a diversion of what I'm actually talking about here, but like, the thing I'm always mad about is clearly this stuff is not working if things like the Target credit card insecurity is it's so easy happening and not, no one is found for that. And it's like you're proving the point that you don't actually do anything, whatever. This stuff's ineffective and it's proving ineffective.
1: To be fair, but, it's not their job.
0: Right. It's not their main mission. Right. 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 So anyway, one of the things that everyone says is what if they actually tried to, you know, protect us and... (laughs) Yep. What's happening? Is my mic still on? There you go. I I just got a weird, like, the mute popped up for a second. Anyway, um, so recently there was a a GitHub issue. Yes. That um, I think it might be interesting to talk about. Great segue. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I know as many details about the GitHub. I do. DDoS, well, as you will. Le- so you I will know. let you intro it.
1: Oh no no oh you okay. I wanted you to. I kinda I'm, I'm curious about your perspective, and then I'll tell you. If, if
0: I'm gonna break it something down. See, this is what I like. Not, you no give one, a little technical intro into what actually happened to them.
1: As af- right networking. after your autoplay video happens. Sorry, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I just restarted. Oh, it's Steve Jobs talking to us. That's the voice of God. Really, it was in the NSA. It was creepy. He's dead. It's weird. All right, go ahead. It's your turn to describe what happened with this DDoS. All right everything's going to, like, all the sounds <laughs> are just channeling to my computer. So, there's this really interesting, um, Jesus, I'm verbose. This is why you should do the explanations. Um, the China has a great firewall. Most people know that they have a great firewall, which means that they basically block, uh, traffic trying to attain any website that they deem not cool. So,
0: YouTube, oh, things like weird. that. Okay. Weird. Why are It's s- like they termed certain content unlawful or something. Yeah! It's very strange. Anyway, keep
1: going. Sorry, <laughs> no, it was good. Um, so they have that that we know it has been documented it exists. There's another thing that um, someone called Furbo on the internet, and you will tell me what his name is because I can't remember. Craig Hawkins. Yes, very good. So he's uh, he works at the Icon Factory.
0: He runs the Icon Factory. That
1: I mean, at, but that by definition he works there. He also works there. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he's
0: actually the man who coined the word tweet. Seriously. Yeah, there's a whole story about it on Furbo. That's really cool. Continue. There you go. He so wrote the first Twitter Here's
1: another blog, uh, is another blog to follow, furbo.org. Not uh,
0: so, org. That's the Arg. part <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> um, Dot A-R-R-G-H. So he, he wrote a blog post a few months ago, I think two or three months ago. Uh, one day, out of nowhere, uh, his website, I think, was it his blog? I think it was his blog. Um, yeah. Certainly got a huge, and, and by huge I mean several orders of magnitude, insane, huge surge of traffic. And I mean, as a blogger, that's, you're just like, that's the best thing ever. Like you want more traffic, you know, people see your website. And then you realize that it wasn't just, it was not good traffic. It was just this fire hose that had been just directed, just slowly turned onto his face. And it was just like, just destroying his traffic, basically making his website not available. Um, so he had to kind of like deal with that, uh, cannot find it. There you go. Fear China. (laughs) That's the name of the, the blog post. So we'll link to that. Um, and there's a graph of the, of the surge of traffic and that was really weird. And he talked about it and a bunch of people kind of like mentioned that and they were like, wow, this is, this is really, why would like, why would China care? And the reason why he said fear China was because most of the traffic was from China. It, and it he didn't he's not an activist, like he's not really doing anything special. but it happened that basically someone somewhere in China made traffic that should have gone to a, a Chinese web server from a very popular website uh, go to his web page for some reason. So it was just this piece of i think it was I think it's the same technique as the one that we're going to talk about uh, for GitHub, it was basically uh, a DNS record, which is the addressing system for the internet instead of going to a Chinese server, probably a popular one, went to his domain name. So suddenly a bunch of people were like just requesting his website for no reason whatsoever. And he had to kind of like figure out how to, a way to avoid that. Uh, in the case of GitHub, the, uh, the thing that happened was very interesting. First, traffic for Baidu, which is a Chinese fa- Facebook equivalent, um, is not encrypted by default. So there, you, you, you can see the requests in the clear. So if I ask for the homepage, you will see my IP address asking the domain, the Baidu domain, for information. And anything that I send, say my, my, my password and login, if I send that stuff, it comes out in the clear in the communication. If I submit a form to buy something, like all sorts of things uh, go through in the clear which was an issue with Facebook a few years ago because you could use something called Fire Sheep to just steal people's session. and like That was fun. That was really fun. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so most responsible websites now encrypt when they have any kind of like private stuff. They encrypt their traffic so that, sure, you can see that I'm calling the website, but you can't see what I'm sending or receiving. Um, but what the Chinese government did, and it's pretty obvious that it was the Chinese government, is that they, they took one JavaScript file that is served by the Baidu website. By served, I mean when you go to that web page, it loads in your browser and does stuff like, oh, makes stuff pop in and out and stuff like that. And they-
0: Auto-plays re- videos. Right. Other things you're annoyed at.
1: Great fun stuff. And they replaced it with a slightly similar version of that same JavaScript file with an extra addition. And the extra addition was two domains, or actually two URLs, so addresses to actually full websites. One of them was the project- the GitHub project, uh, it's not made by GitHub, but it was hosted on GitHub, called Great Fire, which uh, actually uh, indexes all the websites that are impacted by the Great Firewall, and then gives people a mirror to go to them to avoid the Great Firewall. So they're, they're basically just, fuck you to the Chinese Great Firewall. Uh, so every time anybody loaded the Facebook of China... They would uh, start every two seconds uh, randomly sending a, a, a request for a JavaScript file that was actually not even a JavaScript file. It was just sending a request to the GreatFire, github.com slash GreatFire, and another that I forget. So every two seconds, as long as you're on the website. So imagine millions, I don't even know how many millions, maybe, maybe more than 500 millions, uh, 500 millions. <laughs> Of of Chinese people, just a lot of millions, and and again, that this is not the people are not robots; they're just normal people going to the website, and their browser is reading the JavaScript file, and then on a on a timer every two seconds, just paying that website, and GitHub, of course, suddenly saw a gigantic surge of traffic of people who are not GitHub users or programmers or anything, or even activists who want to access stuff. And it just brought them, not down, but it started, started crippling them because it was just so much traffic. just a huge fire hose. And uh, anyway, so that was one of the, the tools. And the reason why China justifies that is that, of course, great fire is illegal. It's a countermeasure to, to route around the, uh, just f- a forbidden website. So a bunch of for- forbidden websites, actually. So it's basically a tool. So it's just like Napster. It's a tool to circumvent the law.
0: Yeah, so the a thing I sent you as this was happening was a link to a Wall Street Journal article. Uh-huh. This was um, March 29th, so a couple weeks ago at this point. But um, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about the GitHub, uh, you know, this incident here. Mm-hmm. And there were two sections in particular that I liked just to read off. Um, and it was the, the actual, the second paragraph. So still kind of in the intro of what they're, they're trying to describe what this thing is, you know what I mean? Um, right after they described GitHub as a popular, popular US coding website, again, showing how we need to contextualize things, because everyone that reads this and knows GitHub is all mad, but it makes sense to everyone else that's reading this article. Yeah. So um, so this, the paragraph reads, the attack on San Francisco-based GitHub Inc., a service used by programmers and major tech firms worldwide to develop software, appears to underscore how China's internet sensors increasingly reach outside the country to clamp down on content they find objectionable. Hmm. And objectionable later on in the article the let's see here it's the where's it at you'll find it i trust you i'm finding it i'm just gonna Don't make worry. some music in the meantime oh turn, here we go the, the third there. to last paragraph okay china often blocks individual websites as part of its effort to control internet content but because github's site is encrypted outside observers can't tell whether users who go there are seeking ordinary programming code or anti-censorship content similar to what greatfire.org offers yes blocking the whole site would also cut off access for technology companies that use GitHub. China briefly blocked GitHub in 2013, but restored access following outcry from Chinese software developers. Interesting. So, just a few examples of how anything that has to do with terming content lawful or unlawful, or how, showing how important encryption is, and all the issues that we're talking about that the open internet rules kind of leave in the balance because of how abstract and and not specific they are. Um, this, this is stuff that, and you know everyone will say, oh my God, you're being, you're being just rash because this is China, and China's bad, and all that. But it's a slippery slope when you start getting into these areas. And if you start giving the government an ability to say that certain content is unlawful, whatever that means, they have not described what actions they would take if and when they deem content unlawful. In China's case, the action they take is, well, let's try to take it down at all costs, which is, we'll take a minor fraction of users that are using service and try to just take down a service with all we got but you know it's it's these examples that we need to know what they would do the U.S. government that is when they deem something unlawful because this is entirely in the realm of possibility when we start getting there
1: let me read something to you right now a new decree that went into effect today allows the French government to block websites accused of promoting terrorism and publishing child pornography without seeking a court order. Under these new rules, published last week by France's Ministry of the Interior, internet service providers must take down offending websites within 24 hours of receiving a government order. French interior minister, blah, whatever, says the decree is critical to combating, combating? combating terrorism, but civil rights group says it gives the government dangerously broad powers to suppress free speech. This is already happening in a very non-China-like nation that I happen to be from. Uh, <laughs> so the thing was, they, they did this, like February. this is from February 9th, 2015. The reason this went into effect was because a bunch of cartoonists, really famous cartoonists, were gunned down in their office in Paris. And suddenly, the, the fear of hate and terrorism and speech and people who just encouraged that stuff became something that was not a priority for the French government and, or maybe even just the French population. So that was kind of a... It went on. That, that, that happened. It was a decree. So you, there was nothing for citizens to do about it. It wasn't a law bill or anything like that. It was just the same thing as an executive order in the U.S., Executive order went through. Can't do anything about it unless another one takes it down. Um. And it it was completely cool for them, and a the bunch of lawyers reacted by saying, "But this is crazy! Like now that means anything that's not cool with the with the French government, who has suppressed speech when it came to controversial things that threatened its its own intern like internal functioning. So. One of the terms that France uses for things like that is, uh, and then they just used it for a new uh, bill that's uh, on, the, on the floor right now as we speak, uh, the, the idea of uh, national, it's, it's like national peace, this is how they describe it, it's basically they, they need to uphold order. And they, and that's kind of freaky when you say that like that in English because it doesn't sound as creepy in French, but it really is as creepy. So basically, it's very important for the French government to make sure that things don't go crazy. And this is one of the things that they decided to do. If if you're threatening to upset the national order or threatening to just just even just promoting any kind of violent action through your words, or even just uh, repeating what somebody did or propaganda from a terrorist group, um, suddenly, let's forget about all the free speech stuff because it's too hard to understand. And obviously, someone who writes about terrorism and incites hate and just, you know, is the same as someone who just killed with a machine gun journalists in their office. Obviously... One leads to the other. Obviously, we can justify the fact that we can now, on the press of basically on the press of a button, turn off some website on the internet. If it was a newspaper, everybody would go batshit. They would say, What you mean you can close a newspaper? Because, and by the way, the French government can't close a newspaper, but they can gag a newspaper if they decide that they could create danger for the french population or put themselves at risk and stuff like that they didn't do it in the case of charlie hebdo because they had a huge tradition but it's been it's happened um
0: so it's just yeah alarming to see the pattern emerge that you know the the nation that we were like oh it's all bad china is doing things that we could totally foresee our own countries that have that we think of historically good are doing now or are leading to now Right. And it's these, it's these slippery slopes that you and I are both nervous about, which is giving giving government overly broad power and, and not defining things well enough, whether that means actual definitions of what unlawful content is or of what actions they would take if they deem content unlawful. Leaving out those d- definitions is extremely dangerous because we will get to the point that China is getting to now because every country that has had these types of laws written, and not only about technology, but these overly broad raw. Laws that they say, just trust us. We'll we'll do the right thing. And that's never the case.
1: It's But it yet. Yeah, so yesterday, the reason why and why I'm so... I mean, I'm beyond upset about this, but the timing is really eerie because last week was the John Oliver thing on, Monday, on Sunday, um, which was followed by this huge... Uh, just so you get an idea, um, as of now, that website, that's just a single-page website, HTML, nothing special, uh, was seen in the last week by 139,000 people. Um, and I mean people, not just individual visits, like just people. Um, so people were they either found it really funny or found it really uh, touching in some way. Right a week after this, um, this is why it was so important to actually put it on the website, there was a bill on the floor of the French National Assembly, which is the Congress of France. Um, the bill is called, <laughs> it's the worst name ever. It's like a uh, bill about surveillance. No, sorry. Bill about not surveillance, but enseignement. So it's intelligence. It's a, pr- a, a, a project, uh, basically, yeah, a law project, project of a law for, uh, intelligence. So it really doesn't say anything about it. But the reason this, this bill is so important, there's actually a, a website trying to gather French, uh, citizens to call their, their Congress people basically. Um, is that law clearly doesn't even try to hide the fact that it's trying to legislate the unlawful actions that were take that were you know the unlawful actions that were done before surveillance has been basically legally condoned by the by by the French constitution and the French laws so um Last week, we saw what happened when the U.S. government created laws that were open-ended and allowed sections of the the U.S. government to say, okay, we're going to do this thing that's uh, kind of not super legal-ish, but these clauses are the legal justification. So every time a government decides to do something, even if it's just invade another country because there's obviously people getting killed for no reason— they try to find a legal framework so that they're not sued on international courts and that they're, the people taking the decisions, like the, the, the presidents and the, any, anybody in the executive branch, doesn't want to later, like let's say five, ten years later, get sued and sent to jail because they broke international law or their own laws. So they were very careful to find legal justification. One of the most important jobs that staffers have in the White House is whenever the president is, decides to do something rash or innovative – is to, okay, uh, let us figure out like, what laws we fall back on if we get in trouble for this. This uh, Patriot Act, so Section 215 of the Patriot Act, was one of those. In our case in France, people right now uh, in the French government are openly admitting that we have used means of surveillance that were not legal. And I, I, the way they say it is they don't say not legal. They say things like paralegal, extra legal, uh, not so legally sound. Like literally, they say these things.
0: On, on. I love the term extra legal. Yeah. Oh, that was extra legal. So it was illegal. Like, what, so the very meaning. Was it more meaning. legal than normal or was it <laughs> illegal? It was, it's extra legal. It depends how long of a pause you put. It's great
1: that. because extra legal may sound to someone who barely listens to it. it was super legal. It was like yeah, more it was than legal. Oh, everything's fine. It's extra. Uh, so they did these things, and and one of the so the website is is in French. I'm not going to say it, but like sous-surveillance.fr. You can go there, and they explain one of the the thing is like okay. Well, first of all, we're going to all agree that we need more security than freedom. Is that cool? All right, cool. Second, uh, that oversight is this thing that is complicated. So we'll just do a new body of oversight. Although there is already one that has no powers, kind of like the FISA. FISA is, uh, uh, do you remember what FISA means? I think it's uh, it's not freedom, but uh, FISA courts. So the FISA courts in the US are were established
0: Intelligence Surveillance Act. Right. That
1: FISA. Right. That FISA. So uh, FISA means that whenever the government wants to surveil. people. It doesn't have to actually ask the FISA courts. It just has to say, hey, by the way, we're, we're, we're just putting people under surveillance. Um, and that FISA court has no authority to stop anything. All they can do is raise an objection, yet they don't see any detail about the actual surveillance, that, which was crazy. So, so basically, the justification for FISA was like, we need some kind of oversight body, right? Except the oversight body has an extremely limited amount of time to review the cases that are brought to them, which means they basically have just a rubber stamp authority of like, I guess this is good. Blank. That's it. Because if you don't have time, you don't have access because it's all under top secret clearance and stuff like that. Uh, all you can do is it seems like this is justified... And even then, if, even if they didn't agree, they really didn't have that much power. So in, in, I think, 30 years of FISA courts, if something like out of thousands of projects of surveillance authorisa- authorizations, uh, 20 were uh, denied? Uh,
0: that might be high. That, I,
1: think, I think it's within 20 or like 13 or something like that. Like FISA rejection? Rejection rate, there you go. Okay. Google is useful for stuff. Uh, 0.03% of total requests were rejected. Only 11 denials with 33,942 granted warrants over 33 years. So that's basically 1,000 warrants a year. <laughs> that's great. So out of 1,000, 0.03% were rejected. Anyway, so France wants to have the same thing. Clear, like, basically All that you can say if you read the two things, and in the media cycle, it's kind of impressive because these two things are not pitted against one another. Um, And this is the French media is kind of running with this. They're like, "Oh, this is our Patriot Act. Didn't we used to hate Americans for this?" Um, (laughs) And and finally, there's the legalization of illegal means and methods, um, which is basically we've done this stuff. It wasn't super square, so now here's a lot of make it square, which which is hilarious to me because the reason Snowden justifies his actions is so that we could have a debate. As, a, as, as societies, we could have debates about these things and reevaluate the programs and maybe scale them down. But instead of that, the French government has used uh, horrible, tragic events like uh, the Charlie Hebdo killings and the fact that one really poorly run French government news station called TV5 World... TV5 Monde which is basically the 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 art if you know RT Russia today it's like kind of like the propaganda somewhat propagandish Kremlin approved TV about the world news but as seen through the Russian prism <laughs> prism um T like TV5 is not like as propagandist I think but it's just this thing like news in French throughout the world there's a lot of French speakers around the world so it's kind of a news service for people who speak French um and they just suck at security. They they had YouTube passwords. Uh, the password of their YouTube channel was the password of YouTube, and they had those on Post-it notes behind people getting interviewed by the TV news stations. So, so and and then they were like, "Oh, this is in, this outrageous hacking of our news station, which brought the station off the air for about twenty hours because they had to take everything down and reboot." But really, they were just so they were hacked big deal they were hacked just like sony was hacked <laughs> but because they were hacked the government on the floor of the of the french congress said see see news stations are getting hacked this is getting out of hand we need surveillance like we need mass surveillance no you need better security for your stupid news anchors and news stations not to leak their own password and and use the, 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 the security to everybody it's crazy like I, the fact that no one's called them out on this yet, I mean, in the in the broad news media, is kind of amazing. So instead of scaling stuff down and being outraged at, at the fact that the the prime minister of France has admitted that we've used surveillance without a legal framework like the US has, uh, now the the candor part is that they're they're saying uh, we want to be square.
0: So sorry, so they're going to retroactively make it legal, right? So, on the American side, these things are also happening, mm-hmm. because on June 1st, um, Section 215 of the Patriot Act is up for reauthorization. Right. Wait, wait, so, it's called so sunset clause. the Patriot Act as a whole, I guess. Yep. Um, so, this is the time of the year when we need to start yelling at representatives to help this thing get squashed and, and out of our lives for, for now. So, I put a link in the show notes to the EFF page that has a way to look up your representatives and contact them about the Patriot Act and the bulk collection of records, which is outside of the kind of stuff we were talking about earlier with the Net neutrality thing, but still very important, mm-hmm. if not more important. Right. And Because it's a chance to actually kill something rather than let it continue on.
1: Right. And to, f- to fight
0: something that's up
1: for renewal. The, just because I'm a one-upper, I, I put a, a new website that the EFF actually brought online just before the John Oliver segment, and I didn't know about it. Uh, it's called fight215.org so it's super easy to just tell people and it's pretty clear what it's about <laughs> and and it's and it's a simplified version of that with i think there's a, a they made a really cool video explaining the whole thing so it's very digestible a bit longer than cantheyseemydick.com <laughs> uh so you anyway, know like depending on your friends and families uh you can send them my stupid website or this very important EFF website, which, by the way, uh, the EFF that we're talking about, we keep talking about the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF, these people are a bunch of uh, programmers, lawyers, activists, and people like that who just, like, scan, uh, mostly in the U.S., but uh, bad laws and things like that, send, actually sue the government when bad laws are enacted or things like that to try to get the, you know the things fixed. And just last week they had we're doing this podcast thing, and there was a patent claim from someone for basically to earn money on every podcast ever because they had a, a, a podcasting patent claim. Uh, the EFF sent their lawyers and smart people, and they destroyed the shit out of that patent claim which means that thanks to people like the EFF who are doing the hard work of actually not necessarily they're explaining a bunch of stuff for sure and they have this really cool thing called um um surveillance self defense um uh, which we can link to too like if you if you can't pass laws to protect yourself from surveillance at least you can protect your journalists and your you know activists from uh, say your you know someone in in Egypt that's doing important work then maybe help them not get killed. That'd be great. Um, so they have the, well, we'll put a link to that. But if you have a minute, you can donate if you're American or even if you're not, you can donate to the EFF uh, once or as often as you'd like for whatever amount you want um, to help them fund their stuff. And they're actually one of the few charities, so nonprofit uh, out there that actually don't waste a bunch of money on administrative stuff. You can see graphs. So this, because they're nerds. You can see really cool graphs about how they use their money, and it's surprisingly good. Like, their report in financials, I think it's like, uh, there was a percentage, but it's basically a huge chunk of money is for is used uh, to actually make programs and stuff like that, and not just for fundraising and
0: stuff like that. Parties, drinking clubs. Yeah. Anyway, Yep. I don't, uh, I don't know if this show is turning into a political technology show, but... Yeah. I know it's going to keep coming up when it matters. So <laughs> uh,
1: it's the it's, I mean, our it's important stuff. Our livelihood and way of life kind of depends on this stuff, and it's it's easy to forget because it's boring. Yeah. And laws are just a slow moving beast, and it's not exciting. Um, but this is exactly what's great about people like this, and 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 laws like that. Uh, it's not great, but we we have pressure points that we can affect change onto. That was a really weird sentence. But those are moments in time and moments in, uh, and, and, and things we can actually have an impact on uh, that, that go beyond just like, hey, go vote and hope that the person you elected maybe will do what they said they would. Um, in this case, it's fighting bad laws before people get elected. So in the courts and, and again, raising awareness, which is kind of tricky, but voila.